Welcome everyone to episode 169 of the Red Zone Restricted Podcast. I'm your host David Comerford and I'm joined by Mark Baker for the match reaction as Liverpool beat Brentford 3-0 at Anfield. This podcast is part of the Big Heads Media Podcast Network. Go to bigheadsmedia.com for more great podcasts. So after a couple of disappointing results, Liverpool are back to winning ways. Mohamed Salah opened the scoring shortly before half-time and then made it 2-0 just after the hour mark. Game wasn't quite sealed at that point. Diogo Jota made sure that Liverpool were going to take home all three points when he made it 3-0 with 15 minutes to go. So, let's begin as we do every single time on these episodes with our three-word match reviews. I'll go first, Mark. Mine was a big response, like I mentioned right at the top there. A disappointing result against Luton. Another one against Toulouse, obviously, a few days later, but Liverpool navigating what looked like a really awkward test in what was by the scoreline, at least quite comfortable fashion, you would have to say. And what would be your three words, Mark? And what did you think of that performance as a whole from Liverpool? Yeah, so I do. Um, My three words would be an important victory, really, because they've had obviously two disappointing results over the past week and two disappointing performances as well. I felt overall it was a good performance from Liverpool. I felt Brentford a difficult team to play against, very direct and can cause you problems from them sort of sort of areas going back to front. And they've got some useful attackers, especially Mbwemo, who's a threat, um, some good pace and a, a good left foot as well. And I felt in the second half, actually, when Brentford um, pressurised Liverpool a little bit higher, Liverpool actually struggled to maintain possession for a lot of the time. So, But they scored a, a good moment and I felt overall against the tricky opponents, it was a good three points. I think that's a, a pretty good summary of the game, to be fair. Um, you mentioned about Brentford being a strong side. They actually uh, edged Liverpool when it came to expect the goals today, 1.66 versus 1.57, um, which is, again, I've, I've banged this from a few times, but, but clean sheets uh, as a metric are a bit overrated because of that, because they really don't tell you the, the full story sometimes. But I think from the Liverpool standpoint, you can say last week against Luton, it was a story partly of being wasteful in front of goal. This time, they were clinical, obviously scoring pretty much double what their XG was. And I think you've got to recognise that it was an awkward opponent, um, as the people have seen when they've been to, obviously, um, been to Brentford since it's been promoted. And there was a little bit of fortune there in terms of maybe the chances that Brentford missed. And Liverpool did have to ride out some spells of pressure. I think Klopp mentioned in his press conference that there was one moment where Brentford got about six corners in a row or something like that. So there were moments in the game where Liverpool had to, to dig in and, and suffer a little bit and Brentford came close. But for me, what I saw was a collective raising of standards, which had dropped this week. But kind of across the board, you had sort of seven, eight, nine out of ten showings from Liverpool, you'd have to say. And I think the first goal that they scored in particular was was top quality. You know, the the pass from Alexander-Arnold, the, the touch on from, from Nunez to Salah, and then just a really composed and precise finish uh, from Salah as well to open the score. And, and Liverpool had, you know, you mentioned kind of struggling with the pressure in the second half there, Mark. But I think he, he, at the start of the game, Liverpool were, were a bit scruffy as well. The first 20 minutes or so, um, looked like maybe they were feeling a little bit um, anxious, a little bit under pressure after those disappointing results, but improved really as the half went on. Um, and I think you've got to call that a really good result against a team who so often cause problems for the bigger sides. In terms of the individuals, there is 
obviously only one player that we can start with, and it is Mohamed Salah, who has now scored 200 goals in English football. He's approaching the last 18 months of his contract, Mark, but do you feel as if so far this season he's shown why Liverpool has to do absolutely everything that they can to tie him down? Yeah, I mean, um, first of all, he's been a fantastic player for Liverpool, Dave, hasn't he? I mean, what a, what a fantastic player, one of the great players who's played for the club. But I think also there comes sort of situations and times within players' career where they have to sort of merge what they are as a football. And I think I think he's one of the best passers of the ball in the league now in terms of sort of finding them moving targets. And especially Darwin Nunes seems to be one that he sort of tries to play that ball in behind. And whether it's with the outside of his left boot, whether it's with the, the inside of his boot, like he's shown against Newcastle to find Darwin Nunes, he's excellent now at being able to see passes ahead of him and being able to play them with the exact correct weight and accuracy. Um, and also, of course, he's still scoring, as you just mentioned there, he's still weighing in with massive goal contributions in terms of actually putting the ball in the back of the net himself. And I suppose the, the construction of our Liverpool's forward line has changed slightly. Obviously, Liverpool no longer sort of playing with that nine and a half, if you like. He's going to drop lower on the ball and Salah's going to run in behind and make them runs from out to in as much. You see him a lot more now in terms of the system receiving the ball to feet on the touchline. But because he's obviously adapted his game, developed his game so much, and he's in such great physical condition as well, he still plays every week and he's contributing in different ways potentially than he used to. Um, and and all the great players have to do that. They have to recognise when, listen, don't get me wrong, he's still a very quick player, but maybe not in the same way he was maybe two or three years ago. And the, the, the advancing of his skill set in terms of being able to be such a, a, a brilliant passer of the ball in the final phase has been has made him even more valuable for me as an all-round footballer because you know people talk about who the best passers in the world are and sometimes they, they'll say like central midfield players, for example, but all of them players are playing in less less pressurised situations where they can drop in, receive the ball and either play wide or play into the front players. The best passers of the ball are the ones who do it in the most limited time and space, i.e. Messi, for example. And he's certainly got that where he can find them moving targets. So I definitely think because of the way his game's developing and the contributions that he's still making, um, yeah, the, at, this, at this stage, if anyone was to ask about whether he should be a player who Liverpool are looking to, to keep um, over the next few years, I don't think there can be any question about that with the way he's performing at this moment in time. And I suppose Liverpool's success this season may be based on a lot on what he can produce in that final third when when the weeks go by. Yeah, definitely. And obviously, you know, with the contract, it's half of it is Liverpool giving him an offer that is sort of worthy of him, a competitive offer and showing him that he, if he stays at the club, he can compete for Premier League and Champions League titles. Um, and obviously half of that is, you know, Salah being willing to commit himself. And you'd like to think that that he would. I mean, you couldn't begrudge him a move to Saudi Arabia if he, if he did want to do that. But at the same time, you know, you're watching the levels that he's reaching at the moment and you just think it would be a little bit of a shame, especially given that that league is only, you know, right at the start of its development, no matter how many stars they bought last year. It would feel like a little bit of a waste, you'd have to say, if he was to go. But obviously the decisive period with, with his future still has to happen. But, you know, certainly from the Liverpool standpoint, they should be looking to engage him in, in contract talks as soon as possible, you'd have to say, based on the form that he's showing. I mean, just a few of the numbers. It's interesting that you talk about kind of how his game has evolved, Mark. And 
the one thing that's stayed consistent is, is scoring goals from from one year to the next. Um, he's only, I think this it, it was on his longest like mini drought of the season coming into this with, with three games, but only eight times in his Liverpool career has he gone more than three matches without scoring, and only three times has he gone more than five games. So it literally you just don't get, you know, particularly prolonged spells where he's not finding the net and. That that for me is what sets him apart because there are so many players who have had similar numbers to Salah in one or two seasons, but very very few who've done it consistently for what I think is now his his seventh season. Uh, you know, putting up these numbers and that for me is what puts him in his kind of unique echelon. Really, um, if he scores well, when he scores it, two more goals, he will be only the fifth Liverpool player to score two under for the club after Ian Rush, Roger Hunt, Gordon Hodgson, and Billy Liddell, which is obviously. Um, a very uh, elite group talking about some of the all-time greats for the club there and his next goal in the Premier League will take him level with Michael Owen intent in the all-time scoring and charts on 150 goals and even this season um, on its own in those 12 uh, Premier League appearances he scored 10 times which is obviously a fantastic strike rate so I mean all the numbers are just absolutely staggering to be honest and it, it's one of them where you know that you're witnessing history before your eyes basically and, and one of um, the greatest players of, of the modern era, whether that's at Liverpool or otherwise. Another player who was excellent today and literally right at his best was, was Virgil van Dijk. Mark, it, it was sort of like watching the, the Virgil van Dijk of, of 2019. That wasn't it. And he continued what, what's generally speaking for him been a really strong season. Yeah, I think he's been excellent this season. I know we had the aberration against Newcastle, obviously resulting in his sending off. But I think every every game apart from that, he's been, if not Liverpool's best player. Um, I mean, the thing about Van Dijk is for Liverpool, for me, and people have talked that it's biased, obviously, a Liverpool supporter, but I like to try and think that I'm not. He's had the highest ceiling of a centre-back, I believe, that I've seen in my lifetime. I mean, I'm 39 years of age. and When I talk about the sort of ceiling, I talk about amalgamating all the best traits that you need to be a centre-back. I don't think there had been anything like Van Dijk over that period when you think that Liverpool during his spell I know we had the, the season off with the obviously the ACL, but the rest of that spell before last season, you're talking about three of the highest points total in English football history, three Champions League finals, the accumulation of the impact that he had on the club as a as such a, a pivotal figure in, in what Liverpool did during that period. The fact that, you know, his home record, he was virtually invincible on his on his home ground and, and and that is largely due to him and the impact on the team. I mean the way he is he gives the structure, the order to the team from the back line. And I think the reason I say the biggest ceiling is I mean a lot of these times people will speak about centre backs from other eras. I've seen majority of the centre backs in them eras. And if anyone's telling me that anyone's been better than Van Dyke within that period, for me it's just it's just nostalgia where you're living in a, an era of non social media not as many televised games. I mean, if you look at some of the mistakes some of the centre-halves were making, you know, in, in isolated moments where they were beaten 1v1 or, you know, different errors that they made, no one had the skill set or has had the skill set of Van Dijk. And what I mean by that is you're talking about not being able to run him in behind because of his athleticism to cover the ground, defend in isolation. You've got to remember that, you know, the way the game's moved on, Liverpool defending the halfway line, you know, it's a lot easier to centre-back within the, the previous periods, you know, having a structure in front of you, dropping deeper, having to defend the halfway line, managing isolation against some of the attack and attackers that Liverpool have faced within that period. 
So that that kind of athleticism, that speed, that ability to to reach top speed when he got into that stride, then you couple that with near invincibility in the air. I think you even need to look at his stats this season and over the period that he's been at Liverpool. His aerial dominance, I don't think that's particularly been matched before, really. So if you can't out-jump him, you can't outrun him. And then when you think about the attacking side of the game, well, he's, he's if not one of the top goal-scoring defenders within his period that he's been at Liverpool as well. So a threat actually in the opposition box in what he can offer you, but also on the ball as well. You know, how often does Liverpool, and still do, and one of the balls today, I think he played for Salah on the right-hand side where he just lifted his head up, his signature ball, if you like, where he played it was right foot over the top. The, the ability to have him as an outlet to evade pressure, to be able to play over and wide, you know, not... Every other centre-half that I've seen has had a weakness in some capacity, whether they're not as mobile in isolation, whether they're not as great in the air, whether they're rash in the tackle, they haven't got that assuredness, that calmness, maybe they're not threatening the opposition box, maybe they're not as great on the ball. He has everything. And him, like Liverpool last season, had a drop-off. There's no question about that. I mean, one of the biggest traits for Van Dijk for me is, is judging distance. So when to engage with an attacker, when to show him outside, when to show him inside, when to basically funnel him into areas that he doesn't want to go. And I felt last season the Van Dijk was getting that measurement a little bit wrong in terms of his distances. At times, attackers were being able to strike. It was going through him or he wasn't getting there quite early enough. But he looks now, to me, back to being able to judge that distance correctly. And and don't get me wrong as well, he was playing in a Liverpool team who were, were all over the place, both with and without the ball last season, which obviously didn't help. But he looks like he's returning to that absolute elite level, really. And listen, we may not ever get the Van Dijk of that particular period, but that's recognising and balancing it off against what was the greatest centre-back for me who's played the game in terms of a collective. So what you're probably going to see now is his returns are just being, without question, the best centre-half in the Premier League. So that's the sort of basis what you're judging against, really. And I feel that this season, I mean, he's just... Yeah, he's been he's been back to his best. He's been back to that that level of dominance where you feel like him and himself is able to marshal the opposition attacks, and you feel like they can't progress because of him within the lineup. Really, so a magnificent player, and I really do believe that. Well, he, he's still the best centre half in the Premier League for me, but I do believe that he was the best centre half that I have seen anyway. Yeah, and there was one specific moment today which was just absolutely. Vintage Van Dijk, where the ball was sort of played to Embermo in a dangerous scenario, and, and Van Dijk, first of all, sort of nudges him away from goal, gets him into a position where if he did get a shot away, Allison's definitely the favourite, and then he just you know sticks his leg out um, and pokes it behind, and then I think he sort of really sort of celebrates the bit of defending as well, um, as he was definitely entitled to do because it was it was top class defender from him, and you know you mentioned that pass out to Salah as well. Um, I think the commentator. On the um, the stream I was watching, said it was um, a pass of the season contender, and it's hard to argue too much with that. And he he went close to to scoring himself as well um, with a re- a really powerful header. And it's a really good save from from Fleck and the goalkeeper. To be fair, but yeah, I mean, I think I think what sums it up is ten out of twelve duels won, ten out of ten long passes. I mean, that was his performance today. It was just excellent um, on and off the ball, and and really. Like you say, Mark, I mean, with the numbers, he has been one of the most aerially dominant players in the division this season. And he's recovered that dominance when he's taken on players 1v1 on the ground as well. And that's, you know, a combination that is making him that sort of feared opponent again. 
like he was when he was at his best. So yeah, um, another outstanding performance from Virgil van Dijk today. I think one other player we should we should touch on. Um, again, he did manage to keep a clean sheet, but like I said earlier, it wasn't necessarily one of those quiet games where he doesn't have much to do and he can walk off having barely broke sweat. Is Allison 1.18 goals prevented today? If we're going by um, the hard data on that, really, I mean, it, it, he really did show his value to Liverpool again, especially with that save from Burma when it was nil nil, didn't he, Mark? Yeah, absolutely, did. I think um, just in terms of that sort of post shot XG, I think since he's been at Liverpool, I think he was sort of in the realms of Courtois as being the top sort of leader in terms of that, in terms of preventing goals. And I was actually. I can't remember who tweeted it as well the other day. They were talking about the difference between Kelleher and Allison over the last periods of years in terms of shots faced. And I think there was something like a 25-goal swing in terms of the difference. And it shows you the value. I mean, you're looking at one of the the great goalkeepers for me. I mean, his ability to manage 1v1 situations, even in, in the Embuemo one today, the way he's just a again, it's a bit like Van Dyke in judging distance and judging sort of engagement to attackers. And the way he can just consistently hold his position, force the attacker to then make that decision, and then you know, react off that. Um, his ability to just creep up on attackers and creep in terms of his footwork, managing his distance. I, I just think, yeah, I mean, Schmeichel was absolutely fantastic at that in the in the nineties, you know, with people bearing down on him. And I feel that Allison is exactly the same now. The difference is with the way the game's moved on is Allison. You know, I, I think one of the weaknesses that people talk about Allison is the the often sight sort of his ability with the ball at his feet. But actually, I think that's an aesthetic thing really because he doesn't look as clean as he actually is. I mean, actually, is 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 kicking is sidewinding kicking out of his hands for me, is one of the most, the best in Wales football in the way he can distribute it. And how many attacks have Liverpool actually benefited from But He's played that early early ball out of his hands. And I actually believe that he's a lot better with his feet. So it's just almost the aesthetics that have how he looks sometimes. He looks almost, a, in the way that Zinedine Zidane benefits from aesthetics in terms of his legacy, I think Alisson doesn't in that sense, if that makes sense. So whereas Edison's nice and clean. But in terms of an overall goalkeeper, the way he dominates his penalty area, the way he's able to keep the high starting position and sort of funnel any attacks out that go over the top. But most importantly, his ability to be able to manage distances, save shots, and basically give Liverpool better outcomes in games for the vast majority than they should have. I mean, I was even looking at when Liverpool were fighting against Manchester City for the league titles, and there was a vast difference, really, in expected points, in the expectations of chances that were faced from Liverpool and Manchester City, and a massive reason that Liverpool were able to compete during that period was they had Alisson in goal instead of anyone else really. Um, as good as Liverpool were, they were still giving up chances. However, with Alisson, they did, it wasn't that many times to the detriment. I believe last season he was absolutely outstanding. I think he's actually put in some of the greatest single season performances of a goalkeeper overall. And I think he's actually reaching his peak now where you sort of think to yourself, Nearly every game, it's going to take something fantastic to be able to beat him or, you know, Liverpool to defend in a manner which doesn't give him an opportunity. But yeah, fantastic goalkeeper, fantastic footwork and his distance judging and his handling is absolutely world-class. One of, one of the greats in the Premier League. Yeah, I completely agree with that. And, you know, we talk about XG, as I've mentioned a couple of times in this podcast, I think they need to adjust the metric for when 
attackers are a 1v1 with Allison, to be honest, because it's one of them where a scenario where normally it's sort of 80 20, 70 30 in favor of the attacker feels like a more of a 50 50, if not Allison being the favorite sometimes. He's just absolutely the master of those sort of close range 1v1 scenarios. Uh, that for me is, is sort of his trademark. Um, is there anyone else before we move on to Liverpool's sort of prospects generally this season, Mark, who you pick out who impressed you today? Yeah, do you know what, Dave? I'm going to pick out Diogo Jota. Um, I think he's a massively underrated player, Jota, in not only for Liverpool, but in the Premier League as a whole. I think he's one of the most undervalued players. And one of the reasons I think he's so... I mean, first of all, he's the perfect squad player for a team who want to be competing for at the elite level. Can play in all the sort of forward positions. If you think when he came into Liverpool, played as the centre-forward. Now he's playing predominantly off the left-hand side. Now Darwin Nunes has came in and stuff like that. I think the great thing about him is when you look at sort of elite attackers, they've normally got kinds of elite traits. Now, whether that's blistering pace, whether that's you know fantastic strength, the ability to bring others into the game, you wouldn't really say that he fits any of that sort of criteria individually. But what, what I think his biggest strength is, is his ability to be able to, well, first of all, time his movements into the penalty area, but also his execution and his, his ability to contort his body almost in one movement and play off both feet to be able to strike a goal. His actual balance and flexibility to be able to do it and his coordination as well, I think is so, it, it's such a unique trait and I'd love to see in training how many times, you know, he's able to turn in them kind of situations. Even his game is goal against Toulouse, the way he just, sli- it, it's only a slight movement, but he just faints and just allows that space onto his left-hand side. And I think whilst other players maybe have better individual elite traits within one category or the other. I think because he has that ability to be able to influence the outcome of games off both feet and also aerially as well. I know he hasn't scored as many with his head at the moment, but he's just so capable. And and I really do believe that balance and coordination, playing off both feet, I just think he is a really undervalued player and a really valuable player for Liverpool as well. And even today, the way he just shifts it just subtly, gets the half yard, like he always tries to do, whether it be a half yard left or right, and the finish in the in the back of the net was absolutely fantastic execution as well. So I think, I mean, just to finish on him as well, what I didn't mention there is his actual ability off the ball as well to be able to, you know, close down spaces, his intelligence, when to engage your opponents, when to show them into different areas. I think he's been a brilliant sign for Liverpool. Yeah, the game I always think back to for Jota in terms of the defensive work was the 1-0 win over City last year, where he literally ran himself so far into the ground that I think he ended up sustaining a pretty serious injury. You know, he gave absolutely everything. And that's probably one of the attributes that Klopp likes most in this case. Just while you were talking there, Mark, I was looking up at his record this season, um, which is now eight goals in 16 matches, which is obviously brilliant considering he's only played 872 minutes as well, you know, making a lot of appearances off the, the bench and things like that. And, you know, this is a player who last season only got seven goals the whole campaign. And again, obviously injury, you know, played quite a big part in that. But he's returned to to top form really ever since he kind of ended that long drought that he was on, which was sort of nearly a year Um, in the spring. He's really sort of found his rhythm again. And that's obviously been really important for Liverpool. In terms of a few other players that I'd mentioned before we move on, Kostas Simakas, two assists today. Um, Probably wouldn't have played if Gomez was fit, to be fair, given that he he struggled a bit um, against Toulouse. But a good response from him today. I think especially, you know, the second assist is more so down to Jota's work. But the first is 
you know, chasing lost causes and digs out a nice cross into Salah. I think Matip shouldn't have been booked at all. I mean, that was a perfectly fine challenge. Uh, made a really good block on it on Norgard as well. Though he had a good game again. Doubt he would have played if if Canarse was fit, but steps in does the job. And also, I mean, I thought Sobberslide had a few sort of under the radar moments today where normally you kind of look at him and he's a little bit more explosive, but there was like some slight slight moments of quality from him in this game, which I thought were quite nice to see. So I give him a shout as well. But you know, the fact that we've now mentioned sort of seven different players, I think it is shows how strong a team performance that was across the board. And it's a result that puts Liverpool one point behind Manchester City with nearly a third of the season gone now. And it's one of them where you can look back and say, well, if they'd beaten Luton last weekend, they would be top of the league. But, you know, if butter maybes and all that. Mark, do you think now as, as we reach this international break where it's always kind of a place where you stop and assess where your team is at, can Liverpool genuinely compete for the title this season or have there been too many sort of slight weaknesses that we've seen so far that might add up into a bigger problem? Yeah, I think so, Dave. I think from from my point of view, first of all, I think they've had a good first period of the season. Obviously, Luton's a standout of a disappointing result, I suppose. You can always go to, to Brighton, Chelsea and Tottenham and not pick up maximum points, I suppose. But I was looking at it, I know Liverpool have been better this season. So they've been better at managing counter-attacks. They've been better at stopping the opposition, creating big chances against them. But there are still vulnerabilities there. I mean, the worry for me is they would be the the away. I think the away performances. And I think this has been sort of a continuation of last season. Liverpool have been nowhere near good enough away from home for me. And if I look at the games that Liverpool played this season, I felt Chelsea should have beat them at Stamford Bridge. I felt they were the better team within that particular game and created the better chances. Wolves, Liverpool went on to win, but they could have easily gone 2-0 up within that game. I think Brighton was a bit of a toss of a coin. And then we had, there was another game as well. I can't really remember it off the top of my mind, but um, Newcastle, for example. So I felt, obviously, Liverpool went down to, to 10 men. But before that, I thought they were struggling in that game. And it, it was, you know, Newcastle were on top. So unless Liverpool had to pick up them performances away from home, and I suppose make the games less of a toss of a coin of the outcome because I think at home Liverpool are pretty good at making sure they sustain attacks have the majority of the possession make sure they are the dominant force but I still feel they struggle to do that a lot at times away from home it was obviously an exception they had plenty of the ball couldn't break through but I just look at them games and I just think to myself I just think there's too much variance in the matches away from home and I think ultimately they won't pick up enough points away from home for me yeah, I'd probably agree, to be honest. It's one of them where you look at the table and you say, Liverpool have played some of the toughest away matches that they'll have all season. You know, they've come through all those games. They're one point behind Man City. Obviously, we we saw City have that incredible 4 all draw with Chelsea, which maybe exposed a few weaknesses on their part. But, I mean, so you look at kind of the table and you think, you know, there's absolutely no reason why Liverpool shouldn't be aiming for the league purely on that basis. But for me, this doesn't look so far like a title-winning team. Just it doesn't look like it's complete enough to, to win a Premier League against Manchester City. Um, and I don't know if that's just me being pessimistic, but the one thing I would say is, you know, I do think that more so than in previous season, this Liverpool team should improve as the season goes on. Just because, you know, you've got players like, I mean, Sabasai's obviously been brilliant straight off, off the bat, but 
McAllister, I think we're expecting more from him as the season goes on. Um, Gravin Birch, obviously, has started well, but he'll get better too. Um, and not only that, but those players kind of adapting to their environment, the other players in the team adapting to them, I think should lead to Liverpool kind of growing in strength as the season goes on. And also hopefully the fact that some of their key players aren't playing as many minutes compared to previous years with the Europa League versus the Champions League. I think that's a factor. I also think that much like we saw in the 21-22 season, an addition in January can change the landscape. So I don't think we can kind of rule anything out by any means. But as Liverpool currently look, I don't think they've quite got enough. But I do think that, you know, obviously you know they made huge strides from last season and there's still, I think, time for them to develop into a side that can seriously challenge, if that makes sense. And one thing I would say is, I mean, you mentioned kind of the away record there, Mark. I mean, it's one win in the last five on the road in all competitions now, and that was the, the game against Bournemouth in the League Cup. But at home, they've won all nine of their games and all of them by a margin of two or more goals, which is the longest run, um, the joint longest run, run sorry, in the club's history, um, matching one from 1980. So I think that just shows you how at home Liverpool are up there with anybody in the world. And I think you're kind of right to pick out that form away from home as a bit of a key weakness. And it's interesting with that because obviously the dynamic of a game is inherently different in like a footballing sense away from home, but also, you know, to what extent is that maybe a character issue as well in terms of obviously we saw it last season as well and being able to kind of cope in those environments and things like that. And, and do they have maybe enough experience in midfield, for example, now with how much younger they've made their, their squad in that area to to deal with those occasions. I think that's definitely certainly going to be something to keep an eye on over the coming weeks and months. And obviously the next away test takes them to Manchester City, which is probably the hardest away game in world football at the moment. So it's one of them where, depending on the results in that one, maybe this conversation that we're having now is, is a little bit different, but we will leave it there for today's episode and um, we pretty much just ticked exactly to half an hour so that sort of works quite nicely and um, if you have enjoyed it please do leave us a five-star review and remember that you can uh, like the podcast um, and press the notification button so it will appear in your feed we also got an email address in our bio as well so make sure make sure you use that sorry if you have any sort of questions or comments or anything like that and we will have some content for you during the international break um maybe in the second week leading up to that massive game against Man City that is looming at the Etihad. But yeah, like I say, that's all for today's episode. Liverpool signing off for the international break with a 3-0 win over Brentford. So we will see you next time.